Your pastor needs you. And you need your pastor. That's the hilltop principle for tonight. God designed this unique relationship as a partnership. And God's vision for the church to build the kingdom of God was set forth from day one, knowing that he would need a leader to lead a local body of believers, whether they were in a home, because back then a lot of it was done in the home or in the synagogue, to lead a people with a clear vision of going in a forward movement. By the way, Pastor Todd did not pay me to deliver this message. In fact, he has no clue what I'm preaching on. Even Jesus needed a partnership because when Jesus launched his ministry, he had to have some people who were going to help him launch this new covenant theology. In fact, he needed more help because in Luke 10.1 in the New American Standard, it says, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. He needed not only 12, but he needed some more help. And he sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. See, Jesus knew that he needed some help. And God purposed the relationship between us as a people and a pastor to simply accomplish his will. That's the blueprint of the New Testament. Because if the church is going to grow, it needs a leader set in place with a church body following that leader. Amen? The partnership is twofold. It's the pastor's call, and it's the church's call. And let me explain. The pastor's call from God is to pray and to minister the word, to teach, to shepherd the flock, to tend to the spiritual needs of the congregation. He also leads by casting vision for them as well as for the church's future. That's the pastor's call. The church's call is to steady his hands. Because his real job description is this. Motivator, song leader, youth guidance counselor, foreign missions expert, event organizer, social worker, hospital chaplain, prison ministry representative, marketing directing, grass cutter, legal representative, accountant, building repair specialist, diplomat, negotiator, purchasing agent, arbitrator, coach, marriage, family, and child counselor, preacher, teacher, biblical scholar, chief operations officer, and emergency plumber. That's the real job description of a pastor. Tonight, I want to share what steadying our pastor's hands looks like. To steady his hands requires, number one, submission. Because look what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. We get that. So submission is part of that. But look what happens when... We submit to the leadership of our pastor, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not grief. Do you understand when we submit to the leadership of the local leading senior pastor, it brings joy into his spirit, not a burden and not grief. I only got two amens on that one right there. When we submit to his leadership, as well as Miss Tanya's leadership, we're bringing joy into their life. That's what scripture says. Not grief, not bringing them burdens of, of what we want to do. And so serve day was a great example of that. He admitted when we, there were 300 of us that were in the auditorium before we went out into the, we, we were all in here and we took a picture. He and Miss Tanya were blessed by the number of people. Last year, we had about 200. This year, it increased to about 300. And then what happened is we dispersed and went into the highways and byways. Some of us worked here. Some of us worked uh, at a lady's um, uh, yard. The, the weeds, I'm not kidding, were this high in her backyard. We went to the nursing home. We did block parties. We went and helped a lady organize her home that was in disrepair and, and, and like a hoarding situation. She needed help. And we did a lot of other things. We, we built a, uh, we, we helped tidy up a lady's handicap ramp. And, and so there were a number of things. And I'm telling you, that brought joy to Miss Tanya and Brother Todd. The gentleman who went to that home where the weeds were literally this high in the backyard, he felt compelled to tell the lady, what are you going to do in a month when, when, it, when it grows back? He felt compelled to ask her that. And she said, I don't know. And so Sunday, this man came to me and said, I'm going to call her and go take care of her. I'm telling you like I know that I know. Things like that bring joy to the heart of our pastor. When we allow him, after we submit, when we allow him to operate in joy and not being burdened down and in grief, it frees him up to answer the call that is on his life. But if the church members hinder the minister from carrying out his call or make his life burdensome, there's a malfunction in the system. It's not what the church was designed to do. And it's not what the pastor was designed to do. It's not beneficial for us, and it's certainly not beneficial for our pastor and his wife. Amen? When you say hindrances, Rob, what, what kind of hindrances pop up? Well, let me tell you. 90% of pastors report working between 55 to 75 hours per week. Oh, that's not a big deal. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastors' children do not attend church now because of what the church has done to their parents. 90% feel they are inadequately trained to cope with ministry demands. 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged as role of pastors. 90% of pastors said their ministry was completely different than what they thought it would be before they entered the ministry. 
70% of pastors const- 70% of pastors fight depression. 70% say they have a lower self-image now than when they first started. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 40% report serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged. 50% of the ministers start out, starting out will not last five years. Only one in ten retire as a minister. Eighty percent of the spouses feel left out and underappreciated by the church members. Over 1,700 pastors will leave the ministry next month in our nation. 1,700. That's 1,700. Many denominations report an empty pulpit crisis. They cannot find ministers willing to fill positions. The number one reason pastors leave the ministry is this. Church people are not willing to go in the same direction as the pastor. That's it. They're not willing to submit. They're not willing to be, I'm with you, brother. Let's go. Let's go shake some bushes around this town. Let's go do another serve day. Most of the people aren't doing that in the, in the, in the churches around this country. And there's literally a tug of war that takes place. The congregation is pulling that way on the rope and the pastor is trying to pull this way and say, Hey, let's do this. Let's try this. No, we don't want to do that. That's what's happening across this land that was founded on the principles of our Bible. Churches that pick up the rope and begin pulling in the opposite direction, they plateau and eventually die. And there's simply no forward movement. When we learn to submit to the leadership of a church, What a principle. What a hilltop principle. I'm telling you, things supernaturally begin to take place, not only in your life, but in in his life, in his family's life, as well as the church's life. How about this? Instead of bringing him and her a problem, how about bring a solution to the problem? Amen? I threw that in. That's a freebie. As soon as, and and listen, uh, how many of you are single? Okay. I'm just using the singles ministry or a singles ministry of a typical church as an example. This is not a pointing the finger at you. But we, I've heard this actually from people before, and it's a common thing at churches. People will approach the pastor and say, why don't we have a singles ministry? How come no one talks about the singles ministry? I don't hear anything about the singles ministry. Let's start a singles ministry. At that moment, the burden gets placed on him for not having a singles ministry. See where I'm going? To combat that, hey, pastor of XYZ Church, I noticed that we don't have a singles ministry. Would it be okay if I gathered up some of them and maybe formed a committee to see maybe what we could do? Your pastor would simply have a big smile on his face as opposed to feeling burdened. I had someone come to me one time and say, how come we don't have a singles? This was years ago. I said, well, we don't have anybody to lead it. 
And so this person was trying to put it on me to find out and, 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 and to sort of cultivate a singles ministry here at church. So I turned it back and said, how, how come, why don't you lead it? Oh, I can't lead it. That's what's happening at churches across America, and not just with singles ministry. But what they're doing is presenting a burden, they're presenting a problem, and they're not submitting to the leadership and saying, hey, maybe maybe I could find a way to fix the problem, amen? Y'all good with that? Y'all still with me? People who do not submit become criticers, uh, they become criticizers, uh, they become complainers, they critique everything that happens. Oh, the coffee's too hot. The coffee's too cold. The music's too long. The music is not long enough. It's too loud. It's not loud enough. It rained and I can't get a parking spot underneath a canopy. Well, you know what? When you don't submit, this is what happens. Somebody typically says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Most of those people wind up in jail or in the army. Have you ever noticed that? People who don't, they, they go across the grain. They always got to fight you on everything. Jail or army is where they wind up. Amen. Okay. But the members of the church who are in unison with the pastor, they're on board with life groups that we have at Family Life. They're on board with Grow Track. That's not this Sunday, but it's the following Sunday. Those are the folks who you want on your team. Can I get an amen? They're the ones that you want to equip. They're the ones that you want to pour into. That's the job of the church is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And so when you're on board, when you submit yourself to the leadership, you may not agree with every single crossing of the I and, and, and dotting of the I and crossing of the T. The Bible says that we've got to submit so that our pastor will walk and breathe and live in complete and utter joy and not feeling burdened when he leaves this campus on a Sunday and who got just got beat up down here. Well, I didn't believe everything you said. That's happened. How would you feel? The choice is clear. Either we follow God's plan and submit and bring joy, or we do it our way and live in chaos. I wonder which one is best. What do you think? Number two, the, to steady the hands also requires numbers. What? That makes no sense, Rob. It will in just a second. Have you ever heard the phrase, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Come on, wave your, wave your arm, wave your little rag. The nature of leadership declares that fewer leaders are needed than faithful people who support the leader in his vision. It's a simple point of logic. The lead pastor is the leader of this church. While there are other people who help in uh, partaking in the ministry, there's only one who can cast vision.
There's only room for one chief. You give you an example of a guy who tried to be another chief. I love this story. In 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 5, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. This is David's son. Exalted himself saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself. This, this guy was smart, and he was also sneaky. He prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. His father had never crossed him at any time by asking, what have you done so? Or why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. He had conferred with Joab, the, the, the son of that guy, and uh, Abiathar, the priest, and the following Adonijah. Man, there's some names in here that helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoda, Nathan the prophet, and Shemi, and, and Re, and, and all those other Re's, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And so what did he do? He sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zahilath, which is beside whatever that place is called. And he invited all of his brothers, the king's sons. Basically, this guy had a party. And look what he says in verse 25. For he has gone down to Nay and has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live King Adonijah. This guy, I think we saw an example of this in our recent presidential election. He was tooting his own horn, trying to make it to where he could become king. Well, let me tell you, he played the numbers game. He was trying to become the chief, the one chief. But how many of you know that wasn't God's plan? See, the numbers say that there's one pastor and hundreds of, 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 of us. You, you getting that? How many pastors? One pastor. Although we have a, some of us associates on, on staff, we have one pastor who leads all of us. God placed Pastor Todd and Miss Tanya as our shepherds to lead us. And so, by the numbers, look what Titus, it says, make clear to them that they are to put themselves, that's us, under rulers and authorities to do what they ordered and to be ready for every good work. Not only do we have to submit to bring joy into their life, we've got to play the numbers game and understand we're not number one. We've got to submit to the leader of this church. By the way, you can apply this to your business or, or maybe where you work, and we're going to get into a little bit about that later. But it's interesting, when you are called to steady the hands of the people that God has called us to steady. Number three, to steady his hands requires honor. Honor in the Bible means to esteem, to value, uh, of great respect. To honor someone is to value them highly, to bestow value upon them whether that's our parents or the elderly or those in authority like uh, police officers or, or whatever, we have been called and it's our duty to honor that. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.17, it says this, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of 
How much honor? When's the last time you gave Pastor Todd and Miss Tanya, Tanya double honor? Think about that one. Not only are you supposed to give them honor, but you're supposed to give it to them more and more and more every time you see them. I'm on a soapbox, but that's okay. That's how I feel. Remember, I'm home alone. It says, especially uh, worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Is that what Pastor Todd does? Does he work hard? He not only works a little bit during the week, but he comes here all day Saturday and he gets here, I'm guessing, 4.35 o'clock while all of us are sleeping. He is here working hard to get his message. And he works on it till about 8.30, 8.45. I'm just being honest. He works hard at it. And he's good at it. Amen. We got to give him double honor. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. Pastor Todd and Miss Tanya have charge over us in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace and with one another. The Bible calls us to honor those who have been placed above us. That's a good place to say amen. We have been called to honor them. I believe the first way, and, and this, is, this is kind of my influence of, of this message. I felt like the Lord um, uh, told me to, to do this as number one. The best way to honor Pastor Todd is to honor his wife first. Come on now. And you also honor his family. I read the percentages to you earlier. That is fact. That is up-to-date facts. That's not from the 1980s or 1990s. That's what's going on in our nation today and even worldwide. Number two, we have to honor his decisions. Come on now. Oh, serve day in the heat. Where else do you want me to go, Pastor Todd? How about that one? We have to honor his time as well as his time off. Now, folks, he doesn't know I'm preaching on this. And so I think it's, it's our duty to honor his time and honor his time off. I have a rule. The, the only way that I'm going to call him on a Thursday and Friday, his two days off, is if the church is on fire. I don't know the last time that I've had to call him. But I respect those periods of time that he's off. And so I think we have to honor that. And we also have to honor his vision for the church. Too often today, if we don't agree with the authority or we dishonor the person in charge, we operate in a spirit of challenge. And what does that mean? It means we challenge everything the pastor does. We challenge, we challenge his integrity. We challenge his decisions. 
We challenge the way he preaches. We challenge everything that he does. I I made it up today, by the way. I call it the spirit of challenge. Are you getting that? I'm not fussing. I'm just telling you what happens in churches across America. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, uh uh-oh, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. He's not only talking about the governmental officials. Like, if we rebel against a police officer, there's going to be some judgment coming on you. I really, I really believe that. If you come against the chief of police in Scott, the chief of police in, in Karen Crow, if you come against our mayor, if you come against the, anybody in political office, God has put him there. And I'm going to show you something in just a second about that. Well, I don't agree with their politics. Hold on. Hold on. If we, if we as a church body challenge everything that somebody in authority does to us, it won't be good for you and me. Amen. You might say, well, Rob, I don't want judgment. I don't want judgment either. I've learned the hard way. When I dishonor an authority, a painful lesson is coming my way very quickly. Amen. It hurts when we dishonor authority. It's not just the lead pastor, it's our boss. Hmm. Any government official? How about this? When you walk into a restaurant and you don't get good service, I demand to see the manager. Do you know what? You're dishonoring that manager by acting that way. When you walk into an establishment, I don't care if it's a post office or if it's a restaurant, when you walk in, you've got to submit to the authority of that general manager of that place. Amen. It's one thing to say, hey, uh, can I talk to the man? I'm not getting, you know, hey, that's no problem. But when you go in there and demand, you're not submitting. Judgment's coming your way. That's all I got to say. Amen. Could the reason you're struggling be is that you, you might have a little issue with honoring people. Maybe because of what they've done to you. There's a pastor who, um, <clears throat> he's a nationwide pastor. If I tell you his name, all of you are going to know who he is. <clears throat> but he was picked to be uh, a youth pastor in Florida. He came on staff and he was, he was one of these guys, he, pff, both guns are blazing. He actually comes to Louisiana for a conference at a church. And he gets lit up because this church had 25, uh, excuse me, 1,500 youth in their youth department. They had four pastors. They had four people that worked in just the youth office. He got the vision. He was going to take this vision back to his church. And he was going to, this is what we're doing, senior pastor. He never really told the senior pastor what was going on. 
The senior pastor knew that he went to a conference. But anyway, long story short, he had an eight-month plan to set the youth up for success. And he said, we're going to be, we're going to have a, a, a youth of 2,500. That was his goal. And he was going to do it with these home groups on Friday nights. Well, lo and behold, he's about to launch. He's two weeks away from launching his new youth department, if you will. And lo and behold, he's in a pastor's meeting and his senior pastor says, guys, I've been praying and the Holy Spirit has told me that we're to stop for right now home groups that are going on. And this guy got a little, what? I need a private meeting with you. <laughs> Lo and behold, he's, he's pitching his, his idea of what he's going to do with the church. And the pastor only told him one thing. He said, let's say his name is Joe. Joe, the spirit told me to stop home groups. Joe, the spirit told me to stop home groups. Joe, after four times, he got it. He goes home and he's like to his wife, baby, you will not believe what happened today. The pastor doesn't want to, he doesn't want to see growth in the youth. You know what her response was? Maybe the spirit is trying to get a hold of you and teach you a lesson. He literally went in his room, he slams the door, goes into the room, and he pouts. Next thing you know, the Holy Spirit's conviction got on him like white on rice, and he had to wind up a couple days later apologizing, and he got on board, and eventually he grew uh, once they, they uh, reinstituted uh, home groups. He wound up growing, uh, you know, the, the youth. Uh, and, and so, great story, wasn't it? He dishonored his pastor, but he learned a valuable lesson. Yesterday, out of honor to my pastor, who I knew was literally, I think it was around 2 or 3 o'clock, I, I texted him, said, hey, Pastor Todd, I just want to let you know I'm preaching Wednesday night on, boom, this topic. And he didn't respond, so I thought, well, maybe he's in the air. Maybe I, I didn't know, so I was like, you know, okay. Well, um, about 30 minutes later, I get a, a text message from him and says, Rob, I'm preaching on that topic in a couple weeks in the, in the Ephesian series. Now, I had a choice. I could be like that pastor and go, I've been studying for that message all this time, and no, I'm, I'm going to preach it. No. I said, don't worry. I will do something else. And so this message tonight was established literally about this morning in a couple hours. So you have the benefit of not hearing the first message, but this message. And I felt in my spirit, the, the Lord said, Rob, you honored Pastor Todd. And so it, it is my job not only to steady his hands, but to honor him in everything that I do. I try hard at it, and I know you do too. And so I just want to end here how are we supposed to honor? Well, I believe that Christ gives us the best way to honor. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We know that, right? Now, I gave you verse 52 on purpose. I did not give you verse 51. 
In verse 51, it says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. He was subject to his parents. And then it says he increased in stature and in wisdom. That word subject is a Greek word. By the way, a lot of Greek words in our New Testament are either from a military background or a sporting type background. And this one is military. And it literally means that uh, just like a, a, a person in the military is subjects himself to a sergeant or to someone above him. In other words, you do whatever they say without question. That's what that word means, that Jesus submitted himself and subjected himself to the leading of his parents without question. And then it says he increased in stature. That's the hilltop principle. When we steady the hands, when we steady the hands of our pastor, amen, we're going to receive the benefits and the blessings that come with subjecting ourselves I want to end right here because uh, we're running short of time. It was Aaron and her who were the two men who steadied his hands. We know a little bit about Aaron. We don't know a whole lot about her. When God needed someone to fabricate and build and construct the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, he needed someone to do it. Let me read to you who it was. In Exodus chapter 31, in verse 1, it says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, get this, the son of Uri, the son of Hur. In other words, Bezalel was the grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in browns and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Do you think that when her was on that hilltop steadying the hands of his leader, that there was a little boy watching his grandfather submit to the leadership, to know that Moses was the guy in charge, and to see his grandfather honor Moses. I'm sure that there were some great stories when her made it back to the tent after all day and the sun had gone down. Do you think that there was something in her that there was so much honor that it just sort of spilled over to his grandson? See, the blessings of honoring our parents, it says in Ephesians, we all think it says to, to live a long life. It says that, but before that it says to live well. How many of you would like to live well? 
I think Bezalel lived well because of how he honored not only his grandfather, but how by, by what God done, he says, that's, that's my guy that I want to build the tabernacle. I hope tonight that you've been stirred about honor and about our pastor. He does get a little uncomfortable when you, when you talk about him because he doesn't want the emphasis on him, but I felt like tonight was the time to do it. Remember, I'm home alone. And so I just want to encourage you tonight that some very practical ways that you can honor him is by maybe joining one of our serve teams, the ushers, the lobby hosts, or maybe in children's ministry or getting involved in feeding the homeless or something of that nature. Maybe joining the growth track, which is next Sunday. Yeah, next next Sunday. Maybe you're not sure about getting more involved in life groups or, or, or something of that nature. And I just want to encourage you. The way that we can honor is by doing what we talked about earlier, but there's other very practical ways about just simply getting involved and getting your, your hands dirty a little bit and, and seeing what we do around this campus. Instead of watching him be burdened with things that need to be done, we can bring joy to his life and family. Amen. Are y'all okay with that tonight? I just felt like uh, that that was in the spirit and it just kind of came together this morning. And, and um, see right here? Everybody stand up. Hold up your coffee mug. <laughs> Man, would I so like to be in that living room? Hearing that crackle of the fire. Enjoying a nice cup of coffee. By the way, this is coffee. I'm home alone. I can bring coffee on the stage. Just don't tell the guys when they get back, okay? Are y'all okay? okay with tonight's message? It's not to put our pastor on a pedestal. It's to bring honor and, and, and to understand that, that our job is just simply to come alongside of him and steady his hands. Like Grady Tardif. He said, Rob, I'm going to call that lady in a month and see how she's doing. And me and my boys, we're going to go back out there and we're going to take the weeds back down if need be. That's steadying his hands. Maybe being part of grow track. Maybe being part of a life group. Maybe then rather than bring a burden to our pastor and his wife, but maybe a solution to the problem. Or maybe just this statement. What else can I do for this church? 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for showing us the hilltop principle. Lord, what a beautiful picture of two men. When the enemy came in, they said, no, our, our job is to steady the hands of our leader. And so, Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, that you will just simply infuse in every one of us, me included, more of a desire to steady the hands of Pastor Todd and Miss Tanya and their family. And to have that, that heartfelt attitude of, what else can I do for you? Lord, I pray that we simply honor them because they deserve the honor. Because of not only what they have done and are doing, but what they're going to do for this church. And so, Lord, I pray that you're raising up leaders, other leaders, other people that we can equip in ministry. I pray that you're raising up people in our church who are going to jump on board and say, I'm in, Rob. How many of you with a show of hands would say, Rob, I'm in about steadying the hands of our pastor? I'm in because that's where the love just simply comes out. I'm telling you like I know that I know. When we submit to that leadership and obey, you're bringing joy into his life. I never saw that till this morning. Oh my goodness, did it speak to my spirit. I received a phone call yesterday. There was a, a lady on her deathbed in, in, a, in Broussard, and uh, the, the, the sister-in-law had actually called for Pastor Todd. He was actually probably on an airplane because it was uh, uh, right after lunch. And um, we got the phone call, and we said, well, Pastor Todd, is he's going to be out of town or whatever. And so, uh, again, home alone, I, I went. And when I got there and I was able to, to pray with the family, I had, I had, before I left, I texted Pastor Todd and said, Hey, look, I know you're busy and I know you're dealing with things and you're out of town and your dad and, and, and a lot of things going on. They want you to do the funeral. However, I'm available. Would you like for me to just simply take the bull by the horns and let the family know? And he says, by all means. That's what I'm talking about. And so I felt like my role yesterday was just simply to free him up to deal with what's going on uh, in his family. And so, Lord, I pray over this congregation tonight. I pray that you're raising up some errands and you're raising up some hers, as well as some Bezalels, Lord, uh, children, Lord, that, that are going to be the recipient of the blessings because of what we're doing here tonight by honoring and what we're going to do by honoring our pastor, his wife and their family. Lord, I pray that you speak to us, Lord, like never before, that you just simply work in us and through us so that we can help build the kingdom of God for it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Well, thank you for coming. Um, we have a special guest speaker this Sunday, uh, Pastor Jim Dornell. Don't miss Pastor Brother Jim. He is a great speaker. So anyway, be blessed. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.